Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast for the technician who's keeping it real. Follow along as we talk to industry professionals and address hot topics that we all face. Along the way, we'll learn tips and tricks. I'm your host, Trent Manning. Let's have some fun. Welcome, Skip Hines, to episode 11 of the Real Turf Techs Podcast. Skip is the equipment and facility manager at Roy Poinciana Golf Club in Naples, Florida. Royal Poinciana is a 36-hole private facility. Skip has four technicians working for him in the shop and four in facility maintenance. Let's hear what Skip has to say. Welcome, Skip Hines, to the Real Turf Techs podcast. Thank you for coming on, Skip. It's going to be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you for having me, Trent. Yes, sir. uh, You know, uh, had a couple of my favorites on earlier, uh, Tony Bevelo. Course, he holds a special place in my heart. It was uh, a real gem to have work for me and with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really hated to see him go. And then, of course, uh, the great, as you call him, the old JR. Old JR. That's right. Yeah, we met a number of years ago at the golf industry show. We both used SIP at the time. He's a turncoat now. Mm-hmm. I always tease him with that. But yeah. uh, uh, he and I hit it off very well and, uh, we became good friends over the course of the next several years. And we just happened to be together last, uh, November up at, uh, I guess maybe it's been two years now, uh, mm-hmm. uh just before COVID hit, we were at the Toro thing together. Oh, ah, okay. And, uh, I got to meet his son, Colby and uh, All right. sharp, sharp young man. I that, bet. that guy is going to be a master. Yeah, I bet he's cool. Well, I actually remember, I want to say it was like my first GIS. You introduced me to JR. And, uh, you know, since since then, I mean, me and JR's talked several times, and I got a CNC machine. He's got a CNC machine. So we we're talking CNC stuff there for a while. Yep. And it was, it's kind of funny because when I first met him, we were kind of like this one and the same as well, because he had a, a mill and a lathe and I had a mill and a lathe and mm-hmm. he was doing stuff and I was doing things. And since then he's graduated to the C and C. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good stuff. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> it's coming. I'm sure. Oh, they, they thought I had one here and I said, well, if you want to give me the money, I'll get one. But they said, no, no, we're okay. Yeah. You can fabricate it by hand. Right. I got you. So. Walk us through your story on how you got into the turf industry. Well, my dad was a golfer. Uh, he stayed in Key West when he got out of the Navy, and he was running from Key West to Miami. He had his own refrigeration truck. He'd haul uh, Florida lobsters up there. And my mom was running the golf shop, and they met and got married, and she became pregnant. And he needed to sell the truck and stay at home, so he got a job working on the golf course as an assistant. Mm-hmm. And ended up taking over and he stayed there as superintendent for 26 years. And so I basically was born in the hospital that backed right up to the third tee of the golf course that he managed. So from day <laughs> one, I've been on a golf course. That's so, crazy. Yeah. That's been a long, wild story. ride. Yep. Walk us through, uh, how you got to where you're at now. Cause well, I, know, I know you've done quite a bit of moving around and stuff like that. You've been some interesting places. Yeah. Fortunately, my wife is 
she will tell you she's part gypsy. She loves the adventure and the moving. So we stayed anchored down after my folks passed away in Michigan for about 18 years. So my daughter could graduate. And I came to the show in 2008. Um, back then I started, I was always going to the show because I was an assistant at one point and a superintendent. And I ended up at John Fulling's golf course, uh, now past president of GCSAA. Mm -hmm. I worked for him for about six years. And during that period, he and I started a seminar for GCSAA by the request of some folks out in Washington to do a technician type seminar. So we decided to put one together called superintendent technician teamwork, managing playability together. Mm -hmm. So we did that for about five years. And in 2008, I was on vacation here in Marathon, Florida. And a gentleman contacted me, asked me to stop by at uh, Tiburon Golf Club. And it was just a social visit. And he said, you know, if I had a job for you, you know, what would it take for you to, to come here? So I just threw out a number and he said, it's eh, reasonable. So I went, we did our thing at the show and I got back and I was in a blistering snowstorm for about three weeks. And my wife was miserable and she's <laughs> like, come on, call, offer us a job. <laughs> and I came home one day from work and I said, well, I got that call. She goes, no, you didn't. I said, yeah, I got the job, job if I want it. And it was a 36 hole facility with three technicians in the shop. So it was an opportunity to start managing and growing people's careers. And I'd always been in a shop pretty much by myself. So I thought it was a good opportunity. And it was working for WCI, who at that time was doing really well and had a number of courses in the area. So my goal was, was to become a regional type guy eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't pan out because right after I started, the recession set in and they filed chapter 11. And about two years into it, I got a call to go see if I had anybody and if I was interested in looking, but to go to Philadelphia Cricket Club. So I was up there for two and a half years. My wife didn't like it. Mm -hmm. uh, I got another call. I just get random calls and people ask and mainly to see if I have somebody ready, but then they always say, well, are you, would you be interested? Mm -hmm. And then I always throw out a number and they're like, well, come take a look. Yeah, and yeah. so that just started the, the chain rolling. So I ended up in Philly, uh, ended back in Claremont, Florida, where I worked over in uh, Windermere at Isleworth Golf and Country Club, where uh, the superintendent there just passed away, Sean Duffy. Uh, he became a good friend and I worked for him for about eight months. And then I got a call to go to Belfair in uh, Hilton Head area, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent about four and a half years there and I had to take that job. I didn't want to leave Isleworth, but the, the offer was just you know too good mm -hmm. and uh, they couldn't match it to stay. So, and I understood. So I took the job and then I got another offer and, I had a couple throughout the years while I was at Belfair. Funny when was I uh, had one to go to Texas, and my wife's like, "Well, you just got good guys in your shop, and you don't really want to go." You know, you got Mike and Tony. Mm -hmm. That I turned down the job, and then find out that Tony's like, "Well, I would have went. I've been wanting to go to Texas for a long time." <laughs> so then the Trinity Forest job came up, and he asked. He said, "Do you think I'm ready?" And I said, "That's kind of a loaded question." I said. Uh, you're, you got a lot to learn, but you can grow into the position and you're smart 
and mm-hmm. you're, you know what you want. So I said, you know, let's work on your portfolio and, you know, let's get you prepared, send in for it and at least get you the experience of interviewing. Right. And he nailed it. Hmm. And That's Casey awesome. called and, you know, he was, uh, he was the most prepared one out of the group. Hmm. And so it was, uh, was pretty exciting for him, but it was sad for me because I was losing a, a key guy and right. guys with like Mike and, and, and Tony, I never got upset with. And over the past several years, mainly over the last five years, I've really tried to work on myself as a leader and a manager who leads by example and tries to foster the environment that people want to be around because mm-hmm. For a while, I used to get these guys that didn't have the drive that Mike and Tony had, but I knew they had the potential. I knew they could do the work. I seen it, Mm. but I would yell at them and to the point where sometimes I would come unglued and, you know, two things. One, you can't do that this day and age because you find yourself in the HR department Mm -hmm. uh, getting talked to and then you don't have a job much longer after that. So uh, I started realizing that it happened to me once and I knew how I felt when it happened to me. And I started going, well, those guys must feel like that when, when I do that to them, mm-hmm. uh, they don't like it because I didn't like it. And so I started learning and took a couple of Dale Carnegie courses that the club paid for me here. And it really helped me because it taught me how to get that frustration and stress out without letting them see it or know about it. So Mm -hmm. I'll get in my truck if I'm upset and I'll leave the property, go get a green tea or something and come back and, or I'll get in my cart and I'll go drive around the golf course and I'll think about things, but I've learned not to say if there's a problem, I've learned not to address it until the following day. And then if it's still worth mentioning at that point, then we address it. And I talk to them in a, you know, a professional manner mm-hmm. where they respect and they learn something from it instead of going, well, that guy's a jerk. Right. Now, I talked to Jr. about it one time. I said, I don't deserve a good friend like you, you know, and <laughs> he said, he said, you know, you, you can't change the past and what you did. He said, all you could do is just keep going forward and change what you're going to do in the future. And so, you know, one guy even told me, he said, call me Mr. Skip. He said, Mr. Skip, I'm going to tell you, they talked about Jesus and they're talking about you. He said, they talk bad about him. They talk good. So the fact that they're talking about you means you're, there's something about you that's important to them that they got to talk about you. Mm-hmm. So I, that really helped me uh, put things into perspective too, that, you know, people are going to say stuff about you and you can't control it. The only thing you can control is how you handle yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I try to turn everything now in my life and in my career into a positive. And I try to put my guys uh, before me, because if something goes wrong, I take the blame. If something goes good, I give them the praise mm-hmm. because without them, I, I can't get my job done. I'm no better than they are. I'm just a guy who has to come up with a game plan. You know, I have to be on an equal level with them. I can't be any better, um, or on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And since I've learned to take that, you know, me and that boss mentality out of it and become, you know, 
uh, us situation, you know, I take mistakes that they make and we, I formulate uh, a procedure or a plan and I talk to them and say, hey, here's like a written procedure that we, we could follow to keep this from happening again in the future. Mm -hmm. And like we have uh, step-by-step procedures for hydraulic leaks and hose changes. We have them mounted, right, laminated and mounted on our lift. So whoever does it can follow step-by-step. So we take, when there's a mistake, we take an opportunity to make the entire team better. And, you know, five, six years ago, I probably didn't handle things quite that way. You know, I was probably like, you know what happens again, you know, you're going to have to be looking somewhere else. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's no way to be. Who wants to have their job threatened? We're, we're all just trying to support our families at the end of the day. Right, exactly. So, you know, that's why I try to listen to people like John Cunningham. Stephen Tucker's done a remarkable job for such a young guy, uh, you know, culture and a team. Mm-hmm. And I think he has a good handle on it. So I listen to guys like that, Carlos Araya, uh, Matt Grillet. Uh, you know, they do a good job of fostering that culture and that environment that people want to be in and just kind of, you know, people filter to those individuals, you know, they want to be around them. And, you know, that's what I want. I don't want my team turning over, you know, monthly and, you know, yearly. I want these guys to be here until they find the job that, that they want and that I can help them go after, like I did with Tony. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned to, not look at the success of the guys like Tony and Mike, because they had the drive they were going to be successful with or without me, mm-hmm. whether they think so or not. I, I know their, their t- personalities and I know that they would be, but it's the guys that, you know, are just kind of limping through that don't have that push. It's how you handle them, how you inspire them and, you know, pump them up to get them to do the job like a Mike and a Tony would do. Mm-hmm. And when you got those guys that you can put them in a position like a Trinity forest or, you know, an Atlanta athletic club, um, or even here at Royal point Sienna, um, you know, when you can do that with those guys, then you're, you know, you're fostering a good, a great culture for your people. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try to do. And, uh, you know, I'm really blessed to be at this club. This is probably the best club I've ever been at. And I've turned down three or four jobs in the past uh, four years. Mm-hmm. I just simply told them I'm not even interested in looking. So yeah. Yeah. this is the place for me to end my career. <laughs> right. Well, I don't, I mean, it really hits home all this stuff that you're saying. I know I'm a little younger than you, but I've definitely dealt with a lot of the same issues. Um, you know, being a little hot headed and not handling things the way I should have handled things. Um, so I think what you're saying is a really valid point that all the listeners can gain something from. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's, uh, most guys that have been around as long as I have, you know, the older we get, the more stubborn we become. And it's like, you know, it's my way and that's the way it is. And, over the years, I've learned that my thinking has just been the opposite. It's like I'm more open to doing things totally different now than I ever was. But when I was 25, 26, it's like, this is how it's done. This mm-hmm. is how we're going to do it. You know, but it goes back to that, you know, you get a little bit of seniority and a little bit of 
power and you, you think you're all high and mighty. And at the, at the end of the day, there's somebody who's smarter and better than you down the street. And, right. You yeah, know, exactly. It's, just a, it's all about the people these days, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, you become family, you spend more time together with your staff than you do with your family and in and, and all reality. Mm-hmm. Walk us through your daily shop routine. Well, it's a little bit different than most people's now. Um, I don't, one of the goals I set for myself this year was to try to get out on the course a little bit more uh, often than what I had last year. Um, But I used to get in early. Now I kind of come in, you know, 530, 5.45. Most everybody's here. And I'll usually have a list of emails to answer, um, a bunch of work orders that were sent from various contractors throughout the club, you know, that I put in their files and put codings to. And I used to get that done. I'll go attend the morning meeting out there with the crew and address any issues. And then I'll kind of, you know, as we're finished up with the meeting, we're walking back into the shop and I'll kind of go over uh, any key points that I need taken care of right away that come up through the night with my shop foreman and they'll get right on it. And then I come back in and I finish up emails and then I'll usually head up to the clubhouse and start walking around there and meet with the facility maintenance team and start addressing issues and uh, for requests and repairs that have come in and what we got to do there. Mm-hmm. And then by then usually an electrician's in or an AC guy's in that I've got to get started on a project or something like that. We've, we've always got something going on. And right now, every Tuesday we meet with the contractors. We're about ready to bust out the ladies locker room and rebuild it. Mm. And we're doing a whole new roof on the clubhouse as well. Going to start at the same time. We're going to tie that in. Then we have construction on the Cypress course where we're doing all the back nine greens, uh, rebuilding them from the ground up again. Mm. And, then of course we've got once one of our guys is going to run the uh, summer uh, cultural practices of all the airification. But like last year, when we were doing irrigation, uh, we're only going to be able to renovate nine holes at a time. So we keep 18 open all year. So, cause the back nine, back nine of Cypress will be closed down for construction. Do you ever see all the clubhouse facility maintenance? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you would, uh, sometimes it's hard to smile because I I took that on last year when they, when they let the guy go and my boss and I kind of took that over. So now he's the director of pretty much everything on the property, uh, from in, from the middle of the inside of the clubhouse, all the way out to the outside gates. And so we handle everything. Mm. I mean, from, the soap dispensers being emptied, uh, they're out of toilet paper. I mean, you, some of the calls you get, you just, what you just shake your head. Mm-hmm. That's why I say, if anybody gets asked if they want to take over facility bait, it's <laughs> run. Um, yeah. it, and it really just depends on the size of the clubhouse because I have to maintain the swimming pool. Prime example, Thanksgiving, I was out in my, uh, kayak with my wife and I got an email because I have my phone in there so we could take pictures but I have an email and the swimming pool was 89 degrees and it's supposed to be 87 
Oh, wow. And then one day <laughs> I got one, it was 86 as supposed to be 87. So you got, they go check the ladies, go check their little thermometer in the pool. And mm. if it's off a degree or two, you get an email that this is so-and-so said the pool was off, but you know, too cold or too hot. Wow. And, you know, we've got the tennis and the pickleball courts and there's always a irrigation leak or ice machines out, you name mm. it, it happens. Do y'all handle all the dressing the tennis courts and all that kind of stuff? Not as far as, uh, like smoothing them or anything like that, but, you know, we do all the painting on the columns and we do all the maintenance on their ice and water machines, their coffee machines, uh, you know, trash cans, any kind of painting, any lights that are out, anything mm-hmm. like that. As far as the nets and the striping and the rolling of the courts and stuff, uh, our director of tennis and uh, his assistants, they have their own carts okay. and we maintain those carts for them, but yeah. we'll help them do whatever they need. If they ask, you know, mm-hmm. they're shorthanded. Yeah. But the biggest thing is with us is ice machines and the AC units. Cause we have like 60, 60 AC units throughout no. the club. And then there's like, uh, 80, 83 ice and water machines. Wow. So, um, and well, then on the refrigeration side, I shouldn't say just ice machines, but on, mm. on the refrigeration, you're reaching coolers, you're walking re- uh, freezers and all that. We've got like 83 units. And so we have a contract with a company that comes every quarter and they do have a level one, two, and three maintenance uh, agreement. And mm-hmm. so I put one of my guys with them and I go, cause it's a good education, really, you know, you're paying mm-hmm. them good money and they do all this maintenance and stuff. So we, we watch them and we check off on our list to make sure no units get missed and everything gets taken care of. But you learn so much from just keeping a close eye on those guys and asking questions. Oh yeah. And like with our industry, they're willing to share their knowledge too. Mm-hmm. They just don't want you diving into something and screwing it up. They call it a big right. going, Hey, yeah. Well, I did all this and it's, it blew up. Yeah. Um, I've definitely done that. You know, anytime we have a contractor out to work on an ice machine or AC unit or whatever, I'm they're kind of picking their brain and seeing what they're doing. And over the years, I'm no AC guy, but I know some stuff about AC now. Yeah. It's been a real experience. Um, it's been a good one for me. It's been a great learning experience and, I mean, to the point that over the past month, I mean, I've invested quite heavily for the uh, our staff in AC equipment. You know, I've purchased a recovery machine, a recovery tank, a vacuum pump, extra gauges, mm. uh, you know, uh, leak detector, you know, the core valve uh, removal tools. Mm. Um, so, you know, we have everything that we need to be able to do stuff in-house and one of the guys is pretty good with electrical. And so we've been pretty, pretty good with getting a lot of stuff going, but then there's just some things that some of these units are so massive on top of the roofs that we, you know, we have to call them in. Sometimes it's just way over our head. Right, right, right. I got you. Tell me something you fabricated lately. Well, I don't know if it's so much fabricating a big thing we've been working on lately with our lathe is, uh, we have, uh, our T markers are shaped like the poinciana tree. They're solid brass. Uh, they used to have little round dots that were screwed on them for the color. 
and they were maybe about the size of a quarter and they would, you know, you'd try to paint them and the, the, the brass was getting real dark and dingy. So we started uh, cleaning them up in a paint stripper and getting them nice and shiny. And we started out on the mill trying to bore a, a little bit bigger than a, about the size of a silver dollar a medallion in the side. And then we found we could change the uh, our uh, chuck on the lathe and put the four jaw chuck on there. And we centered it up and we put a little uh, center point on there. And then we were able to go in with a, with a uh, carbide bit on the center after we milled a little spot out. And we could start in the center and just back our way out. And we could shave that medallion right in the middle in about two or three passes. And you set your... Uh, you know, your start points at the same all the time when mm-hmm. you got it chucked up in there and just back it up to your, to your stop number. And, you know, it, it came out perfect. And then we'd set them down and we'd fill them with paint and to the colors that they were supposed to be. We've got five sets on every hole. Okay. And then we would uh, clear coat them. Well, then they wanted a couple tees where they walk up from the opposite side. They wanted them on both sides. So then they said, well, you did those. We want to do all of them on both sides. So we, <laughs> we just finished up completing all 36 holes. So we've been, we've been using the lathe to cut medallions in our uh, T markers and my shop guy, he's been through quite a few carbide bits because the tree is real rough. Cause it's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not as, supposed to look like the tree, but it's all brass and bumpy and stuff. So totally bad. You gotta be easier on these things. Costs to be money. Uh-huh. But uh, we did that. We just built the aluminum uh, removable ramp for the storage shed up at the kitchen uh, out of diamond plate with uh, handles on it so they could just lift it up so they could wheel their grills up in there to store them, get mm-hmm. them out of the way. And uh, right now we're building a trailer for the F&B so they can haul their dance stages from the facility maintenance building up to the clubhouse and, you know, chairs and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's going to be a low profile. It's uh five foot wide. It's going to be eight foot long. It's got a two foot dovetail on it, but mm-hmm. it's going to be fairly low to the ground. So they can just step on and off of it. Gotcha. So we're doing that. And then we did, uh, it's been a while, but we did a couple of tilt trailers for our, uh, six forty eights. Mm-hmm. The guys really loved those because they used to have to walk them. So now oh, yeah, our, yeah. our productivity's up, mm-hmm. but, uh, Probably the most recent thing of any of real value. I mean, everything we do has value, but so the club didn't have to buy. We created uh, COVID shields for our golf carts and I welded the first couple up, uh, you know, with the TIG welder and sitting there on the welding table and lining everything up. But it's just, and then we had the glass cut in squares from a place up in Tampa. And when they came, we just used a router and you know, made the edges round, mm-hmm. but once they decided that they liked them and they wanted to do them, uh, we made a jig and you could mount the aluminum strips in the jig and just slap them in and just weld them up with a spool gun. So it was really quick. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we made a wooden jig that we clamped the plexiglass down in between the two and we could cut the, the loops around it. Mm-hmm. And then the, they liked that. So then they said, well, we need them for the eight passenger carts. Well, you had to make individual ones and bolt up in there. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of, it was kind of cool because I didn't do it. My shop guy did it. He's really talented. 
and he created a jig to cut the notches in the aluminum. And so we milled it all out and they just kind of interlocked together. And so you got like four of them going down the uh, center and mm-hmm. then you got the cross pieces going in and uh, it was, it's pretty cool. So everybody that cool. sits in the four seater carts uh, or eight passenger carts, but uh, everybody who sits in them, they're all split up by the glass. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of cool watching them go down the road, Man, but uh, cool. we use them for uh, every month during our season. We have a, a bird and wildlife tour starts out at 7 a.m. in the morning and lasts for about two hours. Okay. And they take, they take bookings for it. And um, our uh, Brian Beckner, who does uh, native bird boxes here in uh, Florida, he hosts those and he usually takes like 24 to 28 people out at a time on the mm-hmm. golf course and uh, shows them all the different things going on. And it's pretty cool. So the club does a lot for its members and it's their, their children and their grandchildren. So it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Well, that's cool. What do you find yourself using your lathe and milling machine for the most? We run these uh, Sysis uh, verticutters are very similar to the Gradens, and the, the we don't have as much problems with the smaller units with with the thinner blades on the greens, but our heavy duty ones, the six hundred, the uh, the shafts continuously, uh, the bearings just eat up the shaft on them, and it. Uh, takes a while to get parts in for them. Mm-hmm. And so we always keep a ton of bearings on hand and we can get most of them locally, but uh, we'll take those shafts out and they, when they've got wear on them or if they're bad, rather than leaving the machine down, we'll chuck it up in the uh, lathe and fill it up with weld and then, you know, turn it back down and smooth it out and put the machine back together. So most of the time we're using it to fabricate shafts for that, but mm-hmm. you know, we're cutting bushings and, you know, making shafts or cleaning something up, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. T markers. I used it to make some uh, custom uh, fittings for the big uh, dome lights that they put on the pillars at the main entrance at the gate. Mm-hmm. Because the electrician got them and they were too small. And he's like, well, I'm not gonna be able to finish this job. And, you know, I, I don't even know if I can get these the right size. And I'm like, looking at them, I'm like, I bore them out for you. Mm-hmm. So you can do that. And I'm like, yeah. So I chucked them up in there and bored them out and uh, put a, drilled a couple holes, put some set screws in there for them and he put them on, mounted the lights and everybody's happy. And I get a chuckle because my boss is like, you know, I'd see you make some one-off pieces. And I actually thought they were going to sit there and collect dust when I let you buy them. He said, but you were new and I didn't want to tell you no. So I said, yeah. And I said, but <laughs> that's two pieces that won't ever get used. And he said, but you use them a lot more than I thought. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a tool that if you don't have it, you don't use it. But when you mm-hmm. got it, you use it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. It's definitely, definitely on my wish list. Yeah. I, I got, I got lucky. He let me pick out what I, what I wanted. And uh, I was able to find uh, I, the, the mill I got is really nice because it's an in, Enco uh, mill and it's a J head series. And so it tilts all kinds of directions. And uh, that one was uh, that both were on sale, but the 1340 uh, lathe was, uh, was really, uh, uh, you know, they had it discounted down mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know why, but I got both of them, but it was probably, I want to say around $11,000 for both. Oh yeah. So, and we're spending 60 grand for a fairway mower. Yeah. 
So and I got them from uh, MSC Direct. And in mm-hmm. fact, I think they're uh, right up in your area. So you can just yeah. drive a trailer over there and get them loaded mm-hmm. up. <laughs> I know uh, Corey, that's where he bought his uh, granite plate from MSC. Yep. And he was able that's to what, drive it and save whatever, $300 in shipping. Yep. Well, that's where I got mine from. And uh, it's funny because the shipping was more than the block. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I bought a, a big one. I got like a, a three, three foot by four foot. So you can stick a whole big, uh, you know, pull frame mm-hmm. uh, reel up on there is why I wanted it. So I could put a gauge block underneath and, you know, set the heights to get them accurate, mm-hmm. make sure all of them work. Cause we used during the summer, we used two pull frames on fairways when we've got the courses closed and limited play. So we're not wrecking our good machines when we're doing the verticutting and all of that. So we'll circle cut. We have one, we keep bottomed out and we set the other one at half inch and we'll pull that one on the course that's open. So that's a, it's kind of nice because it gives our, our good fairway mores a, a break, but uh, yeah, that, having that big one is, is nice. And it's kind of funny. You mentioned uh, the granite block because uh, you know, Tony was, was big on that. I've used a granite block for, I mean, going back into like the mid nineties, uh, cause the Jacobson used to sell like the little hangman, uh, gauge block kits for the old PGM 22 walkers. So when you mm-hmm. needed to square them up, you'd put them in the, in between the blades and let them sit on the center shaft. And then you had a gauge block that you would measure the side cases with and, uh, and that's how you would adjust and square up the old PGM 22s. And obviously like everything else, they don't make those block kits anymore, but I'd been using a block granite block for many years. And then Steven came out with uh, his method of dialing in reels. Mm-hmm. Well, that all started right here at Royal Poinciana. The gentleman that retired that I took over for Noel, Noel Chandler, he was here for, 37 years he's doing cnc machining making uh medical uh drill bits and screws for a company here locally arthrax and uh he's making more now than he did when he was working here <laughs> but uh he had that block kit and uh he when i came here he goes he started to say something and i'm like yeah you put the gauge here and check it and adjust it and he goes well how do you know that he goes i only showed Stephen tucker <laughs> and I go, yeah, but I said, but then he was showing people and I was already using the block because I had come over here before and seen it. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I said, Steven started, you know, taking what you taught him and sharing it and helping people out with it. He has kind of perfected it. And I said, so I've taken bits and pieces of what he does and some of what John Patterson's doing and kind of incorporated a little bit of that into the way we do it. And mm-hmm. so, um, he was pretty, seemed pretty excited that somebody was still using his method because he started back in the day when, you know, cutting units weren't adjustable, but his philosophy was you could square up any unit if you had the desire to. Mm-hmm. And he said like on the old Jake's, when he used to do it, he used to have to put an ax handle in there and like kind of twist the frames. <laughs> and that's what, that's what he did. And so he was essentially, he was ahead of his time. Oh yeah, and for sure. Because it, in his, his last years of his career, he didn't get that technical with them. You know, he just, you know, checked them and that was it. And, but 
if you wanted to learn the process, he would take the time to teach you. So uh, I got to give props to Noel because I have the original granite block here still put it over in storage just because it's small and we're our shop's not as big as what I'm accustomed to. And we got a lot of stuff in here now, mm-hmm. but uh, I got to give props to, to Noel. And, you know, I said, I would always hang on to that granite block because that's where, where it all started for Steven and the guys that uh, love doing that system and leveling up reels that, that way. Uh, Noel is just the one who started it. And so it all That's began awesome. right here at Roll Point Sienna. Awesome. Can you kind of tell me what your method is? You said it was a combination between Stephen and John Patterson. Yeah, because, you know, uh, well, Stephen, he likes to, you know, the eccentrics on the rear rollers on Toro units, but he's all deer now. And he likes Stephen well, you know, square everything up uh, that he does. And I mean, he's a master at it. John will use the granite block for certain things, but John uses the SIP grinder. And so mm-hmm. when you use the SIP grinder, you really don't need to use the, the, the granite block. But for, for me, I'm kind of like Steve. Well, Steven was burn hard for a long time. So he had to use the granite block. He doesn't now, but I think he still does like I do and double checks uh, everything. I'll use, I'll check Greensmoors on the granite block and, and adjust them. Um, fairways, I'll do new units when I get them. Mm-hmm. And after that, once we grind them on the SIP, I usually won't. Um, sometimes I will put all the units on there and then roll them out on the rack and, and check the height of cut. Um, I like to use the granite block a lot for when I'm looking at the, the bed knife clearance just to see. You know, if I got a reel, I think it's worn, you know, obviously the pie tape tells me it is, but if I need mm-hmm. to squeak a little bit out while I'm waiting for an order to come in of reels or something, you know, uh, I can get underneath there with the gauge block and see how much clearance I have where they used to dial everything in. I would take my reels. I'd set them up on the SIP grinder and you take a John Deere cutting unit, the QA5, and I would take the eccentrics on the front and I would pull them out. So I would find the high spot and I would scribe a line on the front of those eccentrics. So when I re- when I put them back in, I would put those lines, the eccentrics, the high spots would be right out at me. So they would basically be at the, you know, three and nine position. Mm-hmm. And then what I would do is I would check to see if it rocked. And after I set the height of cut, um, and if it moved, I would just use the left side and I would just adjust that eccentric up or down like five degrees, either, either way. And mm-hmm. that would dial it in. And then I would grind my reel. And then when I was done, I would put it on the granite block and then I would put the gauge on the roller and on the right side with the back roller clamp down like Steven does. And I would check the, get my reading and I go over to the left side and I would do it. And I would see how far I'm out. And so, you know, if I'm eight thousands out, you know, I'd move the, the right side one, and then I would move uh, a little bit to get it to move 1000. And then mm-hmm. I'd get the backside to move 1000. So that's two. So in essence, I moved all four corners, uh, 1000 each. Mm-hmm. And so then when you zero it out and 
you check your high spot on the left side of the roller. When you go back over to the right side, you should be within zero to 1,000 um, or in most cases, probably closer to 2,000s. But, you know, if you're 2,000s on a, on a front roller, checking the high spot one side to the other with the rear roller clamp, uh, that reel is pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, John Patterson does a great job of explaining it. Um, you know, I'm not the best, uh, at articulating it as I am showing on the, on the actual block itself. Mm -hmm. But so where Steven would probably do his all the time, I might do mine, my fairway reels, maybe once a year on the granite block, uh, green s'mores. I might do every, you know, four to eight grinds. I'll throw them up on the granite block and check them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I put a lot of faith in my SIP grinders too, you know, as far as once you have your reels paralleled and leveled uh, and you're throwing them on there, you know, we check, uh, we, we check our leading and trailing edges with the pie tape and record. And mm. before we start, and then we do the same thing when we're done and we record. And so we try to keep everything as accurate as we can and as close to each other um, from one reel to the next on that machine. And then from one machine to the next, we mm. try to be as accurate as we possibly can. And it's just like, if we, the guy hits something out there and he breaks a reel, we don't just grind one. We grind the whole, if it's a triplex, all three reels get ground. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. What do you like best about your job? Well, I had down the money, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I think the most exciting thing I like about it is would say the people, the people are becoming over the past four or five years, the people are becoming a big, exciting factor of the job. It just, uh, you know, especially with being a facility maintenance, meeting so many people around the clubhouse that are, you know, interesting characters. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I think that goes back to with what I really like about it is that it, there's so many different things to do. We're not doing the same thing every day mm-hmm. and fortunate, fortunate or unfortunate depends on how you look at it. Um, I don't do a lot of wrenching anymore in the, in the shop because of my position. Um, I do try to get out there and and do some, but I guess what I really like most about it is that I have the the flexibility because I do have a rather large crew with four guys in facility maintenance and four guys in the shop that I can do a lot of the special projects and a lot of the things that I, that I want to do. I'm not, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, burdened down, like, Oh, I got two pull frames. I got to get ground in the next two days. You know, I could put, you know, I could tell my, my assistant out there, Yohari that, Hey, we need to grind pull frames and he'll have them, him and another guy will have them apart. And then the next thing, you know, one other guy's finished up and he's joined in and helped. And, you know, they got one done one day and everything else done. And then the next day they finish up. So it's pretty pretty cool. Just being, yeah, it's pretty cool as being able yeah. to do what, what you want when you need to. Mm-hmm. And then just having that flexibility of not, you know, when the, when the boss man calls you and says, Hey, I got an issue. I need you to take a look at just being able to, okay, I got to handle, you know, and take off and go do it mm-hmm. where you don't have to stress. It's like, well, I got to do it right now. I'm in the middle of setting greens, moors or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I can just tell the guys in the shop, Hey, I got to go check this out. I'll be back in a bit. Have you oh. seen the electric over hydraulic valve that I put on my pull frame? Mm-mm. I'm going to have to share that with you. 
I did a blog post years ago and I don't even know, I don't even do a blog anymore, but it's still there. Um, I'll have to share it with you. I had one at one time. I wasn't a big uh, blogger, but I, I, I started, um, I was doing some videos when I first met Hector uh, oh, many years ago now too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought a video camera and was doing some videos and uh, I had created a website and then I said, oh, it's got a blog. And I started doing something there, but, and I ended up keeping it. Uh, I haven't looked at it in forever, but the stuff's still there, but I just used it mainly to send to when people were interested in me possibly coming to work for them or whatever. Mm-hmm. I just say, well, here, take a look at my website. And if this is what you're looking for, then, but you know, I'm probably your guy, or at least we you know, should mm-hmm. talk. And so I kind of used that as kind of an introductory before I went shooting off my resume and portfolio. Gotcha. And, uh, that way, if I wasn't interested or they weren't interested, uh, we didn't have to go any farther. Mm-hmm. Get ready for tips and tricks. What's your favorite uh, tips and tricks you want to share? Like I was sharing with Hector with his uh, putting those uh, 220. Uh, What's he got the 220E John Deere Moors? He just got a mm-hmm. bunch of new ones. Well, I used to keep them all on the trailer and I would cut those ears off where the axles pull back in. I'd cut enough of it off so that you could push the handle down and raise the more up where you could use a bungee cord on the handle and keep it up in the air so you could sit right in front and face your bed knife and adjust mm-hmm. your height and all that. Um, you know, I'd say tips is you know network with the you know look around at the guy if you want to succeed in this business and you want to grow your professional career you have to look at the guys who have that passion and drive and you have to network with those it's good to network with the guy next door but my philosophy has always been I'm not I'm available to help anybody who calls me, but I'm not a guy who goes out and necessarily meets every single person um, around me or Mm -hmm. networks with them on a daily basis. But I do, when I go to a new area and take on a new job, I do look to see who the top three and the top five guys are in that area. And Mm -hmm. those and the clubs, and those are the clubs I go visit and I look at what they're doing and I get to know them. And so that way I have a solid networking base in that area of guys that I aspire to be like, and they give me motivation because, you know, you're going to rise to the level of people that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you want to surround yourself with a good team in your shop, you need to surround yourself with a good networking base on the outside as well. Because any successful person is, you look at, has really good people around them. So yeah. that's what I would, would suggest. I agree with that 100%. And that's definitely what I, I try to do. And I'm like you, I'll talk to anybody. But the guys I enjoy talking to the most are the more experienced guys. And, right. they, and they have the passion for the job 
And that's the whole thing. It's, it's so easy for me to sit at my desk thinking about all the stuff I have to do and all the things I've got coming up that because I have a lot of times I'm getting stuff ready for events, you know, with the COVID, we've been doing a lot of stuff in the parking lot. So I've had to have cords, you know, uh, plug, ran into uh, the power boxes outside. Um, fortunately, we had a big construction project a few years ago and it left the big power supply out there for the temporary kitchen that's mm-hmm. no longer being used. And so I was able to put six drops in there and run, you know, hundred feet power cords out into the parking lot. So when they have the band, I can run power supplies to the band and I can run, you know, for uh, different lighting and stuff like that, that they need. So I always have to, you know, prepare for, you know, different events, whether it's decorations, scheduling a lift, you know, making sure, you know, heaters, you know, this year we bought tons of, we got like 30 gas heaters that we run throughout the property for, outside events when it's a little chilly and I just I always it's easy to get overwhelmed and kind of deflated and thinking about how could you get stuff done and then you go you know you go like I go over to Gray Oaks and I visit my friend uh, Orlando and you know I see what he's doing and you know he's a younger guy very you know motivated and I'm like I come back I'm I'm pumped up ready to mm-hmm. go I'm like yeah. Not let him get the jump on me. I would, That's right. Got to kick it in high gear. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But on the tips, tips and tricks, though, I'd say uh, I bought one. It's an Ampro, uh, and the uh, it's an infrared imaging gun, and I use it for diagnosing hydraulic problems, electrical problems, AC problems. Because if I got a cart that's going dead overnight or a fairway more. I can come in in the morning and I can scan when that thing's at room temperature, I can scan that with that infrared imaging and I'll get the image of where it's hot at and I'll mm-hmm. find a relay that's stuck, you know, or I can find a block in the hydraulics where it's got resistance and it's building up, you know, extra mm-hmm. heat or even on a motor where it's got blow by and it's getting hot, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, I would say, and they're not very expensive, but a friend of mine, again, networking, Jim Soyer up at Caves Valley, the super smart guy. Uh, they always said he could fix a fly's wings in the air. <laughs> and uh, he's super smart. And he he told me about that. And so I bought me one. And so I, I use that quite a bit. All right. And that's the amp probe? Yeah. Amp okay. Probe. I think I, I thought, bought it. I, I got it from Granger. I think uh, Tony said that was his favorite tool. Was the no, amp probe. his favorite tool was the power probe. Power probe. So that's yep. that's a different deal. Yeah, power yeah. probe is you're, you're checking uh, actual, uh, you know, juice voltage, okay. and uh, and you can use that to ground out a circuit or power up a circuit. Okay. So it's great for checking valves on like sprayers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it used to be my favorite to- tool as well. Um, but over the course of the past five years, the my favorite tool has become my my uh, voltmeter. You know, I've, I've got, I carry the one with me that's got the amp clamp on it and I'm yep. always checking amp draw and voltages. And I, I don't very seldom use my power probe anymore mm-hmm. unless I'm checking a valve or, um, a, a switch or something that I need to send power to an electric motor. Um, but most of the time I'm using my, uh, my voltmeter with the amp clamp and, uh, I'm, you know, I'll use 
back probe pins or I'll make some out of paper clips, but mm. I'll back probe my plugs and, you know, I'll voltage drop test the circuit. And I'll, if I do an AC motor, um, you know, a fan motor on an AC unit at the club, you know, I always check voltage uh, drop and um, amp draw when we fire it up. And so I, I, I've learned to love my, my amp meter. Mm, I understand that. But uh, are you a flute guy? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am too. I, love I have a really high end Mac. It's got a computer hookup and everything to it, but I, I grab my old fluke out of a toolbox all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, I actually have three of them, but uh, this Mac is like brand new. I've had it for years. It's in a really cool case and it's got a program for your computer and it'll hold mm -hmm. the information. And uh, it's, it's, it's really nice, but I just, it's not user-friendly like the, uh, like the fluke is. I agree. And if, the listeners are not familiar with the all the accessory products you can get for a fluke meter. I highly recommend those too. Like you were saying, the the back probes and all that kind of stuff and alligator clips and they're all interchangeable with your silicone test leads. Super I, I will I will say too that uh with the power probe, it is uh they have come a really, really long way. And there's all kinds of new stuff out there for, you know, testing circuits and uh, without, you know, poking holes or using the needle of the power probe itself. Um, but they've got a ton of stuff to the fact where they've got my uh, assistant out there in the shop. He's got one that's a, it's actually a little butane torch soldering kit deal, hmm. but it's made by power probe. So, okay. You know, Check out Power Probe on online. They've got a, a ton of stuff. All right, we'll have to check them out. And what was your other one you were talking about? It wasn't Power. It was oh the uh, the the Amp Pro. Amp Pro. Yep. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out too. And that's just the infrared heat gun, basically. Yeah, it was actually it's an infrared imaging uh, gun, so it gives you the image of the of the heat, and it's on. A, wish I had it in here. The one I got in my laptop bag is just the infrared uh thermometer mm -hmm. i carry it in there because i on my laptop i have the uh full control over all the eight uh the hvac system at the club so if i get a call when i'm at home or whatever and the heat's not working or it's too cold i can adjust uh, the thermostats and everything or if they tell me something's not working i can check and i can try to force start it from my computer so that's pretty oh, cool yeah it is cool very cool but yeah, Amprobe, uh, there's a number of different ones out there, but it's an infrared imaging gun, you know, and it could use it for many different things, but it's, uh, I like it because it shows you right where the hot spots are at and you can see, mm -hmm. and it's pretty, pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I was thinking about you, I could use that on, uh, electric, uh, golf cart. Mm -hmm. See if I got any loose connections on any of my nine batteries since we're running 72 volt carts. Yep. That's what Jim told me. Cause he said, I got one. He said, I can find my problem in my hydraulic system just like that. And he said, you can use it on electric. You know, you got something draining, you come in in the morning, you check it, you find the hot spot, you know, there's mm -hmm. your problem. And he's turned me on to a lot of cool, uh, you know, tricks. And uh, in fact, he's really the inspiration behind me learning how to use the, uh, my multimeter as, as well as I do and mm -hmm. becoming, uh, a big fan of it now, because like Tony, I always use the 
power probe. And, you know, I even told my guys one time, I'm like, you guys need to buy a voltmeter and, and let me teach you how to use it because, uh, you know, you guys are just taking 12 volt test lights and power probes and, you know, jamming holes and in wire insulation and checking mm-hmm. for power. And then, you know, actually, you know, you got corrosion in there mm-hmm. and resistance and all kinds of problems. So, right, right. um, I used to be one of those guys, so I know. So I'm the total opposite spectrum now. When I worked uh, for Jerry Pate, the Toro distributor, and uh, Toro offered a lot of online training for the mobile service techs, and it was, you know, video. And um, just watching that, and they were always really big on trying not to open a circuit. You know, they wanted to do voltage drop, all kind of mm-hmm. voltage drop tests, you know, on the positive side, negative side without opening the circuit. Because what would happen is, say you got high resistance at a fuse, at your fuse block. If you pull that fuse out and you put it back in, you just cleared some of that resistance and mm-hmm. it might work. So when I drive two hours to a customer and I pull a fuse out, put it back in the machine works and then i go back home and he calls the next day and says i got the same problem you didn't fix this so that's why they're really big on not opening the circuit and doing all your testing find out where you know your voltage drop problem was Mm -hmm. and that experience has helped me a lot in my career yeah it's kind of like uh like checking capacitors you always want to make sure they're discharged before you go touch them (laughs) But, That's exactly uh, right. Yeah, we had a big fan. We, we, we only have one fan on our course, and we, uh, you know, we put it up and take it down, and they kept burning up the motor. And I was checking the amp draw on it, and I'm like, man, this is way too too much. I mean, even when it's, it gets up and running, it's still, you know, it's like right at its max. So I'm checking the wires, and they had spent like fifteen thousand dollars on wire putting this wire in. And I'm like, the wire is too small. And I, I told my boss, I said, I'm no electrician and I'm not trying to get Dustin in trouble, but I said, this wire is too small. You need this size wire for this run. Mm-hmm. So I went down through all the connections and voltage dropped all the way down to the connect to the connection box. Um, Cause it was a long run. It was probably, you know, 700 yards mm-hmm. and so they had to come back in. They spent like $8,000 replacing wire and he did one section and it made it a little bit better. And I go, Dustin, you got to pull that wire all the way up here to the, to the box, to mm-hmm. the fan, you know, it needs to be the same. And so finally he did. And when they, when they did, uh, and I put the new motor in, you know, the amps, when you fired it up, the amp draw was, you know, was under what it was specced out and, you know, when it was running, it was, I think it was supposed to be at like, you know, 26 amps on a startup and it was drawing like 20, 25. Mm-hmm. And then when it was running, it was down around, I want to say like 20, 20 to 22 mm-hmm. when it was running. And before that, it was like running at like 26 amps. And when it would uh, start up, it was drawing like 28, 20 to 30. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it would trip the breaker at night and fan would yeah, run yeah. and the green would get problems and so uh, that's where i really started you know diving into the electric i started looking at you know wire size the run factor in and voltage drop per 100 feet and mm-hmm. 
um, and calculating all that stuff up. And I pulled a lot of the, you know, the sheets off the internet and put them in, mm-hmm. in books so I could look it back up when, you know, if I needed to hook something up and I needed to know what size wire I got to run, mm-hmm. you know, I can, so well, I need number 10 wire for this size run. Right, and right, right. Just knowing that kind of stuff is a, is a huge uh, factor. And I'm really glad they trust me with it here because when I first got here, they told me, you know, that nobody does any electrical work. You need an end of an extension cord changed, you know, electrician does it for, <laughs> for safety purposes. But, yeah. you know, I was here after that guy retired about a week later, they're like, Hey, can you check this or check that? And mm-hmm. so I've been doing electrical ever since. <laughs> That's I kind of like it. Cause it's learning something new, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm always I, down I, for learning something new. I, I, I love learning now. I didn't, I didn't really think I was be big on, uh, you know, education and, uh, continuing to, to grow as I, as I got older, but I am just open to so much and, you know, just looking at what the younger generations bring into the, the turf industry. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, guys like you and, and Corey and, you know, old JR mm-hmm. and, you know, looking where Tony's at today. I mean, dude's a rock star can't say enough good about him in fact uh mike you mentioned jerry pate mike mm-hmm. is work, working for jerry i believe it's jerry pate he's working for up there in your area yeah i heard, I heard he was that and run into him on he's the a, road mike's, mike's a good dude he's a he's a workhorse mm. but uh yeah can you share with the listeners some advice from an old skip and uh Tell them how, if they want to advance in the industry, you got any words of wisdom for them? I do. And I should have, uh, actually, I just read this, uh, a, a while, not long ago. And I wish I would have heard it a while back many years ago, but uh, I want to say that the quote came from Sean Emerson, who was the director of agronomy out in, uh, uh, uh desert mountain. But he said that his, in the words of his dad, he said, two things that'll kill a man, kill a man's heart. One is running uphill. The other is running somebody down. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've done my share of that in my, in my younger years and it doesn't do any good to, to run somebody down. You know, you have to look even if they run you down, you still can't come back at running them down. You know, you need to, you know, be positive and show that person respect. And, you know, maybe you'll win them over. Maybe you won't, but Mm. not everybody's going to see things your way, but, you know, you always need to stay positive and professional, continue your education. I've been, uh, pretty proud of it. I got my 25 year pin. I've been a 25, uh, you're a member of GCSAA mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, I hold my class a, um, status still, um, the bylaws were rewritten a, a few years back and I had always kept up with my education. So I was able to retain my gold card and, um, continue to be a class a, even though I'm an equipment manager, but, you know, I worked as an assistant, I worked as a superintendent running, you know, 54 holes in three locations for the city of Kalamazoo uh, for four years. And, you know, I would say the biggest thing is just continue to learn. But when you change jobs, like I have, 
you have to be open-minded. You can't go in with like, well, this is the way I do it. I've always went in and I said, you know, if it was, if I, if it was a one-man shop, I was, the superintendent was kind of like coming in and looking over. I'd be like, hey, this is how I do it. But I work for you now. How how would you like it done? Or mm-hmm. do do you mind if I do it this way and we see how it works out? But I've always learned that I have to adapt the way I work to what the person who hired me wants. I can't just go in there and do the job the way that I necessarily want to. Mm-hmm. I can do a lot of things that I want to, but I need to do them in the fashion that they would like them done right. and grow that relationship. Because when I got here, my boss had worked for the guy with the guy for, you know, 37 years. Well, he'd been here for 20 years. So he worked with the guy for 20 years and he'd mm-hmm. been here. The retiring equipment manager was here for 37. And so I come in and the first year was a honeymoon period, you know, and the quality of cut was, was, was up and good. And then the second year, I needed to start getting things done that he wanted done that were on his radar. And I thought it was good. Well, we bought it heads. And I mean, we had some, you know, heated discussions mm-hmm. and it wasn't good. So I walked out of there and I said to myself, I said, I can be down in, in the chin and walk around here moping all upset. Or I can put a smile on my face and kick this place in the butt and show him that he hired the right person. Doesn't always start out, you know, real smooth. So you got to just stick to it and, you know, go with the growing pains. And, you know, as long as you stay focused on the, the, the mission and realize that the only reason we're here is for the, for our membership and that we treat everybody with respect and we try to grow that culture. uh, When you do that, it all works out and you, you got a place that, you know, you want to come to, you don't want to leave, you know, you're right, not looking right. for that next job. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, what, what I would say is just, you know, always stay positive and uh, just try to continue to learn and just, you know, get involved with as much stuff as you can. Associations are huge, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I was, you know, talk doing talks at GCSA you know, before, you know, I'd have a room full of, you know, 60 people um, and I'd have one or two technicians in there and mm-hmm. the other 58 were all superintendents and assistants. Yeah. And so, you know, back then GCSA didn't want to cater to equipment technicians. They told John and I in 2004, 2005, flat out that we're for the superintendent, you know, mm-hmm. and um that's why, you know, Stephen and them kept pushing with IGCMA. And um, and I always want thought that we should be involved with the GCSAA. But at that point in time, you know, they weren't ready for us. And then as they seen that we were a serious and dedicated group, uh, they decided that, you know, like any good business people, how are we going to grow our membership? Well, mm-hmm. We need to open up other avenues of education to all in the turf industry. And so then they created, you know, a spot for us, which has worked out really nice. And it's been a huge, huge step for both the technician and for the association. And now they've got, 
the assistant certification program going as well for the assistant mm-hmm. superintendent because some guys are in career assistance positions. You know, they're not they they've been there for a long time. That's what they want to do. They're they're not going to move up. They don't want to. Mm-hmm. They're happy where they're at, and so there should be something for them to help them out. And so now GCSA offers that. So I'd say get involved because you know. I stepped down after a while of doing it for a number of years. And, um, you know, I figured it was time that, you know, the younger generation got involved and, you know, let's get some new ideas and new blood in there, but it's, uh, all about, uh, you know, leadership and culture and development Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and setting yourself apart because that's the one thing that we have to do as technicians. If we want to succeed is we've got to set ourselves apart because when a job opens, it's becoming just like superintendents. There are, there are 50, a hundred applications coming in for that job. If it's a good club mm-hmm. and you got to do something that sets yourself apart. If you want to get recognized and pulled into the top five and then cut down to the top three, and mm-hmm. then, you know, make it into the top two and become that guy. Right. And I'm, Unfortunately, that's the way it works these days is that it's a long process to get uh, a a job. And so you've really got to work on, you know, what can I do to, you know, what's puts me apart from my competition Mm -hmm. and each club looks for a certain set of skills. So more skills that you can develop, the better off you are. Oh, just like we were talking about with the AC and ice makers and that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, like you say, any skill set that you have can benefit you because yep. we end up being jacks of all trade we're probably not masters of any but um we definitely dabble in a lot of different stuff well it was funny because when i took on facility maintenance you know he said well he said here's the there's what you get if you stay equipment manager here's what you get if you become equipment and facilities manager and if you agree just sign here and you know take some time and think about it so i'm like all right so I thought, you know, I'd think about it overnight and talk to my wife about it because, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to come back and renegotiate for a little bit more because, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, neither one of us really knew how much time I was going to spend involved with it and, you know, what was going to, what it was going to take. And so we both agree that it was probably maybe, uh, maybe not the right number, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's like two hours later, he comes out there, I'm working on the mill and he's like, so you're going to do it? <laughs> and I'm like, well, man, I'm thinking about it. And uh, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm not one to turn down an opportunity because yeah. most of the time it's not really about the money. It's about creating value. And that's the one thing that we all have to remember is that we have to create value to our position, to mm-hmm. our, our, our crew. We need to create value for them. And we need to, you know, create value to the club um, so that we're not the person on the chopping block when rough times sit in. And so I told him, I said, well, uh, I've never been one to turn down an opportunity or look a gift horse in the mouth. And the club has definitely been good to me. So, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll I'll do it. And it's turned out to be a real treat. (laughs) (laughs) When you're talking about setting yourself apart, and I think that's the perfect way to set yourself apart is, you know, by doing more things and making yourself more valuable. Because when you make yourself more valuable, you're more valuable to the club. You're more valuable to anybody. You know, talk about that. 
we had a problem with the uh, number four pines restroom and I've been waiting for a company to come pull the sewage out for a while. And we had a pipe fixed and over the weekend on Sunday afternoon, I got an email and said it was backing up through the floor drain. So they put out an order sign on, well, you can only get to it by bridge. So you got to come with a small wagon and bring it up and transfer it. And so it was already out for that day. So whoever plays the next day is going to have bathrooms that aren't working. So he said, well, I think he's waiting on, uh, you know, the, the septic guys to come pump it out. And if they don't come, you know, call this company and see if you can get them. And I've said, I'm here looking at it now. I've got a plan. I said, the bathrooms will be open either tonight or in the morning. Uh, but I will take care of it. Mm-hmm. I was here for four and a half hours. I left at eight o'clock and I turned our 300 gallon water wagon into a sucker. Mm-hmm. And I went out there and I sucked 310 gallons of crap out of there. And of course, before I could shut the machine off, there was a hole in the lid and it started blowing up through there. Nice. And I got the machine shut off without getting it on me. <laughs> but I came back and I dug up our septic out here at the shop and mm-hmm. popped it open and I drained the 310 gallons into there. And then I closed it back up and I went out and I pulled another 300 gallons out, which basically emptied it. Mm-hmm. And I brought it up. And by then I'm like, I had enough. So I just parked it by the septic and left and I finished it up in the morning. But mm-hmm. uh, the thing was, is that, you know, seven o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, when the course setup guys going around that does the bathrooms, you know, he was able to take the signs down and open them up and they were mm-hmm. cleaned and, you know, there's not a problem out there. And it's the second time I've kind of done something like that. And, you know, I'm not liking the reputation I'm getting around yep. here for doing that stuff, but, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it's gotta be done and it's just, it's just, uh, I just do it because that's just the way I am. I didn't do it looking for anything special. I just didn't want to hear any complaints about why is the bathrooms closed. And so mm-hmm. I figured I get two choices. I could sit around and wait for somebody to come do it, or um, I could get it up here and transfer it. And then I could, when they do get here, I could just have them take it from right here. Right. So yep. that's what yep. I did. I, I made it happen. Good idea. Make it happen. <laughs> Capping. Tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you. Well, I'm on I'm on Twitter. Uh, I think it's at at Skip H or S Hines on there. I'm not sure. I'm not uh, big at what having uh, given out a, a handle. Right. But I, I am on Twitter and probably easy enough to find. But I am in the, uh, any members who are members of GCSA can uh, look me up in the directory at mm-hmm. uh, at Hines. Well, just like the ketchup. Uh, obviously, Royal Point Santa Golf Club in Naples. Should be pretty easy to locate. Yeah, we'll they can track. Always, they, they can, can always, they can always call. You, they can always call you and get my number. <laughs> That's right. They can track me down. I'll find you. Yep. Um, thank you, Skip, so much for coming on. This has been a blast. Um, I think everybody definitely should have got something out of this, and I appreciate you being here. Yeah. Well, you know, it always, I always start early in the morning, so if you get me early afternoon or mid-morning i'm always at my best by this time of night i'm usually about taking a nap in my chair at home i hear you yep i'm ready to take a nap myself thank you skip i appreciate it thank the listeners for uh tuning in today and we'll see you next time i hope you enjoyed hearing from skip join us next week when we're talking to who knows who 
I'm going to try to nail somebody down between now and next Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Turf Text Podcast. I hope you learned something today. Don't forget to subscribe. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or you'd like to be a guest, find us on Twitter at Real Turf Text. See you bye.